Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Glad to have you with us on Strung Out, and we're going to talk about ghosts and ghost tours. And I have two gentlemen with Shadow Carriers, which is a group that leads ghost tours, not only around the Chicago area, but in Michigan and other parts of the country. Orion Cooling and Zach Meyer have been working together for a while. And I want to just jump right in asking you fellows, have you ever seen a ghost? (laughs) At the gate. I love that. Yeah, I have. Seeing ghosts is largely a matter of faith. I am a fourth generation storyteller with a Celtic background and ghosts are part of our family heritage and family lineage. And there are people in my family who are better at engaging spirits than I am. I'm not a medium. I'm not a psychic. I don't have those gifts, but I have definitely encountered at least twice two direct instances of paranormal activity that was visual. But seeing a ghost is very rare. Sensing a ghost, pretty common. Smelling a ghost, pretty common. Actually, usually the smell that comes for most ghost encounters, but seeing a ghost, is, it's just it doesn't happen very much. But I've been blessed that twice I've encountered that situation. It's pretty, pretty wild phenomenon. We, on top of doing like walking tours and storytelling, we also have done and led investigations of different sites. And there's always something that happens in the quiet room where our customers are usually in the other room and lots of little stuff. I would say the story that I really like to share, there's one time we're in a location and I'm between one hallway and the other hallway and I'm wearing a costume because we were doing historical tours, had a sash on my waist. And down one hallway, a little bit of light. I hear footsteps. I flash my flashlight over there. I'm like, okay, no one from our tour that I can see coming up, but there's like backlit. So I clearly not seeing someone, but here hard soled shoes come closer to me. And I'm like, something's happening. And you can feel like Orion said, you don't necessarily see it, but you can definitely sense it. And the sash on my waist starts getting tugged distinctly. And I was like, oh, that's something. But the cool thing is like, you can ride it out. Like, it, this is not harmful. This is not anything. So let's see where it goes. Uh, a person from our tour comes around the corner. The experience stops. And I was like, okay, that was pretty cool. And before I say anything to the to our customer, she this person claimed to be a medium and have that sensitivity. And she goes, oh, yeah, a young woman was just here with you. She thinks you look very dandy tonight. And I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> and so that that's the more fun story of experiencing a ghost that I have in, in my bag. It just occurred to me that the word dandy is interesting because in that particular venue, that was an abandoned old haunted house. Like it used to be a tourist haunted house. The building dates back to 1906. And so and that particular building has another ghost. They describe him as always in a formal suit. And when he manifested one time, also to another medium at a different year, use the term, everyone's dressed so dandy. But the word dandy came up again in the same location. That's a whole different year. I never put that together until just now. It's a very 19th century sort of term. You don't hear it in today's parlance. What did your ghosts look like, Orion? Were they old fashioned? Everybody has a preconceived notion of what a spirit looks like. 
The ghost encounter I had relatively recently was with my partner's grandmother. And so she very much looked like an old lady ghost. She was my first night staying the night in the uh, the family home. We were engaged, but this is down south. And so I, you, I was sleeping on the couch and Angela was up in her room. And when I woke up to having an old lady hovering over my face, just like bent over looking at me real close, like closer than we might normally expect someone to be. And I was very scared and she got even closer and I was like trying to project like, hey, it's cool. I'm not here to harm anybody. I'm trying to give that good vibes going on. And I turned to look for the exit and then I looked back and she was gone. So this particular ghost was quite material. It wasn't luminescent. It looked like an old lady over my bed at midnight, which is exactly what it was. And then I went upstairs to ask my wife. I said, do you guys have a history of hauntings in this house? And she's like, no. I said, you want to tell me why there was an old lady over my bed a few minutes ago? She's like, oh, that's my grandmother. She died in that room under hospice care and she's still about just checking on things. I'm like, yeah, that would have been great for you to tell me before I slept on the couch. All in all, it, the time that I encountered a visual situation, it was very much like just what you'd expect from real, the real world, as it were. And it wasn't like, it wasn't, there, there was no distortion of features. There was no like luminescent being, but it was it looked like somebody you'd meet on the street. It's funny you bring up that talk about an old lady hovering over you because the two ghost experiences I have had, one, I am I played in an Irish band for many years. I played uh, in an Irish band. Really? What's your yeah, band? I played in one here in Chicago. What's it called? Oh, we're called Gunny Brooks. We've been playing together since May. Oh. I was part of Finger on the Trigger, which is a big Irish band for 15 years in Chicago as well. I have a butter on my arm. Oh my God, you're a baron player? Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm with the band Switchback, but I was oh. with the Wailing Banshees before that. Yeah. Where are you going back to the, the 90s? The experience I had with the ghosts was my fiddle player, Mary McDonough, her house had a female spirit in it, old lady. And I remember waking up, I stayed overnight because I used to live out in Woodstock at the time. And just like you had described, Ryan, there was a lady kind of inspecting me, looking over me. And it wasn't any like real tangible form, except I knew she was there. And I was so freaking tired. I just said to her, listen, I'm going to sleep. And that was it. I remember very vividly that. And the other experience I had it was over in Ireland where my wife and I were sleeping. We were at a fairly modern hotel and I woke up and it was about maybe five in the morning. And there was this young woman at the base of the bed, but she looked like she was a modern woman, looked like she had a sweatshirt on. She looked like a college student and she looked very angry. And I didn't know what to make of it because as soon as my wife started stirring, she faded like a TV, an old fashioned TV would turn off. So my question to either of you guys is, what are ghosts? Exactly. A million dollar question. <laughs> give your perspective. Yeah, it always remains in the land of mystery. And I don't think we're necessarily meant to know. I think you can get into the metaphysics of it all and saying it's some spectral release of energy that we don't necessarily clock yet, that we can measure definitely surges of electricity in the air and something's changing. I think it's definitely a frontier that hasn't been fully scoped out. And the cool thing is like, you can get into the, is this real? Is this science? And there's people definitely doing that, trying to bring a scientific approach to this. But there's also a part of it where it's like, it doesn't need it. It doesn't need to have an answer. 
Because sometimes are you going for an experience with a ghost? Are you going for an experience with something larger than you? And so I don't think we're meant to know, at least yet. We're at a point in our history of that stuff not being flushed out fully, which makes it really fun. <laughs> I think for me, I really hold on to the idea is that paranormal by definition is beyond normal, right? Supernatural, beyond natural. And one of the things that we say in the opening of every ghost tour we do is that we are all really on board with the positive side of supernatural. As, as a culture across the globe, we're really fine with miracles, with guardian angels, with blessings and healings from afar, with visitations in our dreams from ancestors. Like we're all good with that. Like everybody's like, thumbs up. That sounds great. Love that. Love that for us. As soon as you flip into the darker side, you're like, oh, no, there's no science. I'm like, well, there was no science for that guardian angel either. And there was no science for the healing you just went through. And there's no science to back up the complete shift in your life that you just attributed to a higher power. And we're fine with that. So I go back to spiritualism, the religious movement that has suffered a large debunking since the mid-1800s still exists in many ways. And it's a religion, right? And science, we can't prove ghosts any more than we can prove angels. And to me, they hold the same category. It is, they are beneficial to some and detrimental to others. It really depends on where you are in your journey. Mary Roach, she, she's a scientist who's also a journalist who wrote Stiff, The Interesting Life of Human Cadavers, as well as Spooked, which is the, the, the science behind the paranormal. She's not a believer. She's a scientist who writes about this. And I think ends up falling in the agnostic category, which is where I fall in it too, right? It's not my job to prove to anybody the encounters, experiences I have are real involving the paranormal, nor is it my job to prove to anybody that my perspectives and encounters about my everyday life are real. And I think one of the things that we say in the business while we're leading ghost tours is you'll find believers who are far more fervent than you, who are very um, adamant and ardent about their systems. So whether it's somebody who's a medium or gifted in that way, or whether it's somebody who encounters a lot of ghosts, or whether it's somebody who's an atheistic about it, doesn't give a dang about it. It is a matter of faith. And I'm not going to take away someone's ghost any more than I'm going to try to absolutely demand a non-believer believes in them, right? I'm not going to do that. So one of the things that we try to do in our storytelling, in our investigations, is provide historical context and cultural context within a given haunting. So even if you've been dragged on one of our ghost walks and you don't give a darn about ghosts, you're going to get something about the culture, about the history of the people. One of the things that we say in our introduction is that Louis L'Amour, a great Western pulp writer who wrote 350 cowboy books and some science fiction, he talks about not all legends are true, but there's truth in every legend. And so we can gain from these stories a perspective of the people, the history. What were they afraid of? What are we afraid of still? And what do saying these fears out loud, how do they out loud, what do they do to us as a culture, right? So right now we're doing ghost tours in Andersonville, right? Andersonville is like one of the cutest neighborhoods in all of Chicago. It's damn near adorable is what it is. And people are like, why choose Andersonville for ghost tours? I'm like, for a couple of reasons. One is it's very cute, right? It's, I was like walking down Andersonville. It's just fun. But two is that I find that usually the cuter a town is, the darker the secrets. And so peeling back the history on that one mile stretch that we do our walking tour on was fascinating. The stories that have been covered, the crimes that were committed, the hauntings that are pervasive. And if we do that, we're not just finding out about the, these legends, but why are there so many children hauntings? 
in a one mile stretch of Andersonville. What's going on there? And sometimes we have the answers and sometimes we do not. And that becomes its own version of terror. I don't know any more than Zach. I do want to touch one more thing on that is my personal belief. The majority of hauntings are brought on by powerful emotional experiences, whether someone's alive or dead. Have you ever walked into a room where someone's just had a marriage ending argument and felt the vibrations in that room? Or somebody who just received a phone call that somebody had passed on and felt the temperature of the room literally drop, right? To me, that's the beginning of a haunting. That person who's gone through that emotional experience, if they meet tragic death right there, it's a guaranteed ghost, right? If they leave that room and go on to have the rest of their life, that room still holds on to the echoes, the vibrations, as it were. So that is generally speaking, I think we'll see a lot of, if you walk to an area, if you walk by an accident that has a ghost bike sitting out for somebody who was killed on a bicycle and you just let yourself sense for a minute, yeah, you can feel that. You can feel that the vibrations are different in that sound. It seems to me what you gentlemen are describing, and this is what I've heard, I'm no expert, though I'm a geek when it comes to the paranormal, that there are spiritual beings, sentient. And then there's also like uh, film clips of an event in time. I've heard one of the more famous ones was the guy working on a London sewer and in walked a whole group of Roman soldiers. And the way he described it was historically accurate because they were conscripted from the local population. And he was mm. talking about how they carried their spears and how mismatched, but they were Roman soldiers. I find that kind of fascinating. When you're on your walk, let's just concentrate on the walk. Are both kind of spirits present at the time? What do you think constitutes most of these spectral haunting? I would say roughly probably six or seven of those are echoes. Or I think that is that film, that repeating film. And two or three of them are not. And I, the one that I don't really want to totally give it away because I want people to go on the walking tour, but there's mm -hmm. one There's one story that I tell you, it's profoundly dark. And I struggle with that particular story as a ghost storyteller because it is a, it's three stories in and it's really, it's rough. In New Orleans, my most violent story is my la my second to last story. Right. And so you have a kind of a rise to action and then there's this violent climax. Right. But in, in this particular walking tour, the third or fourth story, I'm like, Boom! and I'm like, in that particular story, it's a haunting that is going on. It's an ongoing, and it seems to be a pseudo-sentient situation. Whereas some of the other stories we tell are like, in this spot, this thing happened, there's an echo, something still happening here. It might be a reverberation of X. So yeah, I'd say probably seven of those stories are these, like, these echoing, reverberating patterns. And then Maybe three or four of them, give or take, are these stories that are an ongoing haunting situation. So the businesses that tell our stories, it's interesting because right now in Andersonville, we are getting a bit of, well, we're in your show, for goodness sake. People are noticing us a little bit more than they have before. Now, partially, so we're doing a lot more than we have before. Last year, we did four. This year, we're doing know, 16 or 18 tours. And so when you go to investigate these stories, I find that people are far more willing to talk to you if they're dealing with one of the echoes than if they're dealing with an actual haunting. Because actual hauntings are scary and uncomfortable. We're going to take a little break here. I am talking to Orion Cooling and Zach Meyer. They're both with Shadow Carriers. They're giving ghost tours around the country. But we're talking primarily about Chicago, Andersonville, um, Strong Out. And we'll be right back after some music.
At the end of the road Where nobody likes to go Is where you can find My haunted heart Tattered curtains in the wind A green glow from within That's the place Of my haunted heart Only a brave soul would venture Fight the demons who writhe about Find the soul who languishes In chains of sadness In an evil redoubt In my haunted heart Gargoyles on the roof A motor serpents, there's your proof Trapped inside my haunted heart A banshee cries as the floorboards creak inside Misery in my haunted heart Memories of what could have been Stalk the halls of what cannot be The vampire is at it again Wanting to live forever What is it with me? Chase here from Marty Fine Art. Have you visited Marty's website lately? I encourage you to check it out. We've added a new section for greeting cards featuring eight of Marty's original artworks, including his latest painting, One-Eyed Wolf. And did you know 
you receive a 20% off discount when you join the email list. Sign up today at martinmccormick.com and you'll receive a code for 20% off your first order. Shop for fine art prints, t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, greeting cards, and so much more. Apply your code in the shopping cart and enjoy your 20% off discount courtesy of martinmccormick.com. Thanks for listening and happy shopping! And we're back. Zach, I want to pick up with you. You're going to tell me about your ghost tours. They're really unearthing things, right? Yeah. The fun part is we try to collect these stories from these people. We don't try to put anything on them. We try to get it from straight from them. And the best thing about at least this year, we're putting up posters. We're going into these businesses asking if we put the poster in their window and stuff like that. And there's always like this moment where there is testing out each other where it's like, all right, am I, are we a safe place to nerd out about ghosts right now? Because I'm going to take 20 minutes of your time right now if we are. And the best part, we had these stories that were crafting and carrying over, but then we gained so many this year just by putting up posters because people want to talk about it. We have more stories than we can fit in our tour and we're finding other ways to, to get them told. But the really cool thing about these stories in particular is we don't have to do much to them. We don't have to create. It's not, oh, and there's a ghost over there. Okay, now how do I make five minutes out of there's a ghost over there? These people are bringing such passionate intrigue to the stories where it's like, I'm just going to take what you told me. And you can feel that community collaboration that stays in the spirit of what we're doing. Both of you guys strike me as very respectful kind of individuals. And so my next question for you, and it follows up on the community building aspect, who would ever think a ghost tour would create community? But you have, that's a wonderful thing. It does create community. I did a tour in Edinburgh of the ghost tour to the Blackfriars, and it was fantastic. I really got that historical sense, and I I didn't see anything, but I certainly felt the march of time. But I want to ask either of you guys, there seems to be people like you that give ghost tours that are respectful. And then you have these guys that they call themselves ghost hunters. And that seems to be a whole other kind of ilk of people in the sense that they're coming to rattle the chains, if you will, of a ghost. And what's your feeling about that? It's definitely not my cup of tea. I think there is a strategy in going aggressive literally trying to rattle the cage, trying to make something happen, trying to infuriate whatever is there to get the reaction that they're seeking. That is a strategy that exists. I don't agree with it. And I'm definitely not going to be on an investigation that does it, but that's them. And for me, I have found if you treat yourself like a visitor, like you will have a deeper experience. I can't how many will be on an investigation? We're taking care of our people that we're coordinating. And I'll stick myself in a quiet room near the exit just to help people that if they need to get out. And I'll have a flashlight on, but I'll sit and let the room breathe. And most of my experiences have happened is bringing generosity and humility to a room because whatever is keeping that energy there, that 
that emotion is there. In a way, if you are egotistic about it, you're intruding upon it. And what story is trying to be told here, like even going back to using an investigation as storytelling, what story is trying to be told here? And if you're trying to imprint your own thing, you're not actually listening to what the story is. That's definitely my approach. We have a saying, generosity of spirit, and just being able to come in. This is not your story. So let them tell you their story. And that is much more fulfilling. And for me, is what actually makes things happen and experiential. Uh, I think it's great. Great perspective on that, Zach. And thanks for the question, Marty. I would like to bring up the idea that consent matters in all things. In all things. Like literally everything. And so I'm there, as Zach mentioned, as a visitor, right? I'm, I don't want to pull anything that's not consensually given to me. Whether that's a story a business wants to offer me or a home wants to offer me that's given with consent, it's not my job to mine that story. It's not my job to find a dark rainbow that we all hide beneath to find to share our tragedy until I get your goodwill so you spill out your trauma. It is my job to listen if you're ready to talk. And then it's also my job to ask for permission before I tell your story. So consent matters in all things. The next thing about this is for the most, I've gone out with a ton of ghost hunters, a ton of ghost hunters. I will tell you from my perspective and the people I've been out with, I've almost always been generous and kind and dignified and respectful. There are some folks who are not, but we have the pleasure of working with the paranormal conventions up in Northern Michigan, Paracon. And it's actually a sizable convention. And I've been out on walking tours with people that you've seen on Discovery Channel and Travel Channel and some of these higher big budget names. And they've all been very groovy. Actually, quite easier to scare than you might imagine. The professionals I went out with were not known for nerves of steel. That said, I want to go back to this idea of religion. Recently, I was, I'm not a Catholic. I'm, I don't actually have a faith that I particularly adhere to. But I was recently in New York City. I visited St. Patrick's Cathedral. We walked in there. We were quiet. We were respectful. We walked the areas that we were asked, that we were allowed to walk. I did not light a candle because that's not my faith, right? But I saw others lighting candles. I observed that respectfully. I walked by every saint. I looked at the architecture. And I, again, not a Catholic, could not help but feel the presence of the space, the gathering of powerful faith in one spot. I feel the same way when I'm beneath ground in a tunnel in an opera house from 1890. I can't help but feel the energy of the place, the feelings that are going around, the years, and the, like you said, the passing of time, the legacy of the place. Whether or not I'm feeling a ghost or not, whether or not there's a ghost to experience or not, I can't help but be wowed with the presence of the space. So if I'm in that space and open to receiving, the same way I'd be in a cathedral and open to receiving, I might receive something interesting. But to evoke something that has not been given to me consensually. I'm, I'm all about bringing the readers. I'm all about bringing the meters. Mm. I'm all about bringing the gizmos. Old school and new school. I'm all about it. As long as what we're doing is respectful, right? Same rules that apply to going on a nature walk. We leave nothing behind. We disturb nothing. And hopefully you can then future generations can have a powerful experience there. But if you're going to walk in there and leave graffiti on the wall or leave your trash around or experience it while you're drunk in an altered state, most of my clients in New Orleans are drunk or in an altered state. I don't go ghost hunting with my clients in New Orleans because that's not an environment to take that into. We do ghost walks and you can be in a pub crawl and have a good time with it, but that's a different story for a different time. What I want to point out is that I think for the most part, in my experience, the ghost hunters I have encountered have been generally very respectful and they're pretty self-policing. When I went out and somebody was maybe getting out of hand before I could get to the group and be like, hey, let's bring that behavior back into focus. 
they're already like, no, go away outside, Carl. So for the most part, I've had some pretty good experiences. I don't seek out that work, but work has been brought to me to help manifest. And I'd be open to doing it more. But again, I want to control the environment. I want to make sure that we're walking in there with kindness, dignity, respect, and humility, as Zach said. Great. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to be back with these two gentlemen from Shadow Carriers, Orion Cooling and Zach Meyer. And you are listening to our podcast about ghosts on Strung Out. Hey, want to show your support of Martin's Artist Endeavors? Buy Me a Coffee is an online site that makes supporting Marty easy. In just a few taps, you can make a payment of any amount and no account is needed. You can also decide to become an ongoing supporter. Go to martinmccormack.com and click on the words Support Martin. Let's help Martin keep it all caffeinated.
Okay, we're back with our final segment of the show. And uh, first of all, where can people get a hold of you guys? I guess it's easy. It's social media. On all social medias, we are shadow carriers. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. We do respond pretty fast to any messages we receive through social media. Our podcast is on all our podcast providers, Spotify, Apple, being the biggest ones, but definitely some of the smaller ones too. Basically, Shadow Carriers is our brand. That's where you'll find us. And if you look up Shadow Carriers, we do three seasons. The first season's about Chicago. The second season's about places across the country that we've experienced personally or have gone through. And the third season, which is right now coming out, we have another episode dropping tomorrow, I believe, is about mm-hmm. New Orleans. So we have three seasons to uh, two seasons out there and a season that's unfolding even as we... Fantastic. So people can listen. They can get some of your experiences and stories. There's a lot of science that's now starting to creep into at least uh, ghost hunting. And with some of these cameras and voice recorders and spirit boxes and all those things. Try any of those? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I think the most common thing we see in investigations that we used to lead a lot of those in northern Michigan was EMF meters. EMF, they're really easy to get a hold of. They can give a lot of false positives because it's electric magnetic fields. So power cables or power lines from a nearby building, sockets, things like that can be really challenging for that particular piece of equipment. But at the same time, if you're downstairs in, in a creepy old basement of some building, there's there's no power nearby and your things going, you're like, what could that be? My, my favorite ghost hunting equipment, I've got two, but most of what we're seeing now is just updates on Victorian concepts. It's pretty wild to think about, sure, we just have cooler science, the things that go boop, and infrared, again, going back to apparitions, it is seldom to see an apparition. So things like infrared cameras and heat gauging cameras, I've never seen them successful. I have seen them deployed time and time again, but it's just so uncommon to catch anything on camera at all whatsoever. I am not someone, I do not take away ghosts, but dust is a thing. And so if you're looking at orbs, you, it's smart to be like, okay, what are the odds that this is dust? And what are the odds that this is something spiritual? We have to adjudicate ourselves. If we're going to engage in this world, we have to say, what is fair and reasonable? And what am I reaching for? My freaking piece of equipment is a classic flashlight. You get a flashlight old school with D batteries, which are hard to find nowadays. And you separate the contact wire, the whole thing apart. So where you dump the batteries out and you put it so there's literally a hair width between the batteries and the contact point, and you leave it. And then when you're in the room and people are, maybe mediums are talking or whatever, then you'll start seeing flicker, flicker, flicker. That I've seen actually happen quite a few times. Now it could be a vibration, somebody's up on the floorboard, sure, but it could be something else. And I think that's very cool. I've also seen divining rods used, like you would use for finding water. I've seen those used as well. It's very interesting how that works. Been in investigations where someone goes, what happened to that door? I'm like, that's where they found the body. And I'm like, cool. I don't know how you would have known that. Is there a time of the year where you feel the supernatural peaks in the Celtic tradition this time of year with Samhain? The veil is the thinnest between the two worlds. Rise activity? Yeah, definitely harvest time, the traditional harvest time. We're starting to go putting the day to bed. I love winter solstice where literally the sun is dead and we're now re Earthing the sun. Definitely times of tradition and ritual because not only are they bringing it on the other side of the veil, we're more open to it too. And that's where it really extends on is it's not all their job. It is also our job to be open and, and present for it too. 
Uh, and that's definitely the times of the year that I feel it. Why don't you explain to the average person what is the benefit of going out on a ghost tour? It's entertainment, definitely. Storytelling, it's also a type of storytelling that it's not necessarily common in terms of like going to the theater, going to a movie, but it also is on a totally deeper level because... You are extending yourself beyond, you're suspending your disbelief that not only is this story have basis in truth, in evidence, you have to extend your empathy to maybe the spirit, the apparition, the the energy, the imprint, whatever we want to call it that exists right there. Maybe they were not a great person. And, and so we need to keep it over there. But maybe it is a utterly harrowing and tragic story that is the reason why they're there and so we can go all night about whether ghosts are real whether that ghost actually exists all this stuff but what it truly is asking you is extending your empathy to a degree that some people may not be ready for and really challenges people in that way one of my favorite things about leading ghost tours in new orleans is because it's a cultural institution in that town people expect to do it is, yeah we're gonna go on the swamp tour we're gonna go to see some music we're gonna go on a ghost tour so people come in and they're like blah 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 and then we get an hour into it and they're like huh okay okay and the very end of it they're all like it tends to be a moving experience it really depends on the ghost tour guide but in my experience people who are sober enough to stick around at the end of a ghost tour in new orleans tend to have a kind of a catharsis that they go through right you won't expect it you won't expect it to hit you the way it hits you and it tends to really hit you in a good way i find that it's, it should be like going to a good piece of theater but my brother you're you're irish musician as well one of the things i love about singing these songs when i sing in an irish my irish fans that i play with is you're playing songs that are written in the 1400s, the 1600s, the 1800s, and you're telling the stories that our ancestors told in a very old way. And for us to say, in a fast-moving society where we have a thousand distractions, to say for the next hour and a half, we're in a time, I want to tell you stories of our ancestors, stories that people have forgotten, stories that people could tell and should tell around the campfire. Let's do it as we walk through this beautiful neighborhood and learn about the history. And to me, that's, it's a hoot. It definitely is something I do as a tourist. The things I do as a tourist, I go to the local Irish bar, I go on a ghost walk, and I go disc golfing in, the, in any given town or any given the area that I'm in, right? I usually try to go on a kayak tour as well. But uh, those are my passions, right? But what I like to do is I like to find out what, what made the people and what made the town. And one of the best ways to do that is going on a ghost walk. So whether I'm in Boston or Baltimore, it's a great way of me understanding a bit more about culture. And that, again, if you know a town's sins, then we can see how have we evolved from there? And are we evolving from there? I want to wrap things up here and let the listener know that just from talking to these guys, you're going to be guided by not only some experienced ghost tour guides, but they have that respect and empathy that's going to protect you to some degree from bad vibes, if you will. Suffice it to say, for the people that are joining you, this sounds like a very good, insightful tour that uh, they're going to not only learn a little bit about Chicago history, but they're going to get in touch, as you say, Orion, with that ancestral sense. And as you say, Zach, the community. It's just a wonderful idea and not necessarily having to be with Halloween any time of the year. It gives us a break from this 21st century. Any final thought before we say sayonara? 
Yeah, I just want to say we do. If walking tours are not your thing, if walking for two hours sounds ugh, we do have sit down events here in the city going on. We're doing two events at Mrs. Murphy's Irish Bistro in North Central off the Irving Park Brown Line. It's a great place to be, great place for music. But we're doing two events upstairs. One is a collection of ghost stories that we don't get to tell all the time that we really enjoy telling. And then one is literally the Andersonville walking tour, the same tour done with slides and a few bonus stories that we can't fit in time-wise into our typical walking tour. So if you want to sit down with dinner and a drink rather than a walk, we've got that covered as well. All of that's on our social media and website presence. Great. I heard that uh, there's one particular bar in Andersonville that has all the really good stock of whiskey and a lady in red. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah. Is it Lady Gregory's? Lady Gregory's. Oh 43 separate Irish whiskeys and beautiful hand-carved wood in the interior and a ghost just inside the door. So there you go, folks. If you want to have a good time, just start at a, a, a great Chicago Irish bar I agree. with these two gentlemen. Once again, Orion and Zach, look forward to talking to you again. And for those of you, as always, thank you for listening to this podcast. And remember, be good and do good. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out.